this morning. We are continuing on with our series through Joel. This is the last week, the last bit of Joel that we'll be working through. Um, I wanted to talk some today that, you know, the last few weeks we've been hearing from Joel. And if you remember, Joel chapter 1 begins speaking about the crisis that they're in, about the pandemic, the plague that was coming. And Joel's advice to the people of God, which is still good advice for us today, is to repent and to return to him, to return to God. Our desire is not to go back to the way things were or as business as usual, but actually to move forward into a new faithfulness, to see revival in our lives, to see revival in our church and our community. Joel 2, God goes on to provide, and he talks about how God will provide and that we will be satisfied. Joel says that surely the Lord has done great things to remind us that God has been faithful, that he has done miraculous things. So don't be afraid, that we don't need to be afraid, that we can be courageous. In fact, we can even rejoice and be glad because of who God is. Last week we talked some about how God would pour out his Holy Spirit. And we see that this main event happened at Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago. But we continue to pray now that God would pour out his Spirit again, pour out his Spirit on us, pour out his Spirit on our community and on our world, that we desire to see revival. This week, we continue to look ahead to the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus will come and make things right and good again. For me, studying Joel has been a rich study these last few weeks. It's been challenging me, convicting me, encouraging me and guiding me. He has me wondering, you know, what will God show us today? has me wondering, how do we read Joel in light of our current situation? Some of you are asking questions like this. Some of you are wondering, where do we go from here? Some of you, better yet, are wondering, where is God leading? So let's get into this passage. Let's get into this passage of Joel, this last chapter, chapter 3, and see what God has. So if you would, pray with me that the God Spirit would guide us. Lord God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be here with us. Holy Spirit, help us to hear the word of God. Help us to hear the words that Joel spoke, the words that you gave him. Help us to hear them afresh and new in our context, God, in our story here, the situation that we face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Joel chapter 3. If you're joining us online, give you a moment to do that. For those of you who are uncertain where Joel is, if you open towards the center or towards the New Testament and head left a bit, it's in the Minor Prophets. So let me begin. Joel says in chapter 3, he says, In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Here, the Lord God is saying, when I restore the fortunes, when he returns things, he's looking also forward ahead to the final day of the Lord. When the nations that were surrounding Israel, when Israel was being attacked or or, um, taken into slavery by other nations, the nations around them would exploit the people of God. They would sell them into slavery. They would take the loot from their land. They would go into the temple and strip things out of it. In this first verse, we realize that it's God. It is Yahweh who will stand up for his people. Now, I'm just going to give you summaries of the next few verses. In verse 3 to 8, God talks about how he will pay those who enslave God's people. In these, in these texts or in these passages here, it talks about the nations that surrounded Israel. They would sell their boys for prostitutes. 
They would sell their girls, their daughters, for a bottle of wine, basically turning children into money, into things to be traded for. Talked about how they looted the temple, how they took the gold out and brought it to their own lands. Talked about how God will punish them, that they will receive what they have done. Then, in verses 9 to 15, it talks about a battle where the Lord will fight the nations for their injustice. He will gather them in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is a, um, a symbolic valley, in the sense of a valley of judgment. And they will be destroyed, be destroyed there for their wickedness. Now, this whole part here is focusing on the nations around Israel because they exploited God's people when they were vulnerable. Now, as Christians, we hear this text, but we also hear Jesus, too. We read all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus. And I was struck this week as I was wrestling with the destruction of these non-believers at the day of the Lord. I heard Jesus' words. I was reminded of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So as we read about the day of the Lord and the way that God will uh, vindicate his people and bring justice to those who exploited them, we don't stand on the sides cheering for their destruction. It actually moves us into urgency so that everybody would be people of God, that we would be sharing this good news about Jesus, that even those who maybe persecute the church might actually come to faith and begin following Jesus just like the Apostle Paul did in his life. In verse 16, here it says, The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. In this last day, catastrophe and judgment are for those who refuse to follow God, who exploited God's people. But those who follow Jesus will find refuge in the Lord. The day of the Lord will be a double-edged sword. But for those who follow God, for those who call on his name, it will be a day of refuge. It will be a day of celebration. Joel goes on to say, Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. I want to just point out this, this phrase here, dwell in Zion. Zion was originally viewed as the Temple Mount. Then, it came to, as people talked more and more over the years, it began to include Jerusalem and even Israel. It has this future connotation to it, when God will dwell on earth again. That Zion is God's throne, his dwelling place on earth. God dwells on Zion, means that Yahweh is God, first of all, and he dwells in Israel, in Jerusalem. Not Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, who they believed lived in Babylonia. Nor Baal, the god of the Canaanites, who they thought lived in Canaan. The point here is that Yahweh is God. And he dwells in Zion. Zion is this special place, the place where God reigns. It's like God's throne on earth. And while the dome of the rock is there now, ultimately Yahweh will dwell there. Then, as it says in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem will come down from the heavens. This phrase, to dwell in Zion, is a key phrase. It's actually repeated in verse 21. Remember, for Hebrews, repetition means it's important. But it also, if you remember from, uh, from two weeks ago, 
these two verses here make a package for us, and we're meant to read inside them, to read verses 18 to 20, to see what Joel is speaking about, because it's important. Setting off this section, this is the last part of the book of Joel. Verse 18 says, In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. This is an image of shalom. These are word pictures of the fullness of God's provision. Now, this is a little bit removed from us. We don't, most of us aren't farmers. But this is, in an agricultural society, this is an amazing day. This is an amazing day in paradise where the earth, the day worked so hard to scratch out a living, begins to just overflow with abundance, dripping new wine, milk flowing. You don't have to work for it. It's just flowing in the hills, water everywhere in a land that was so dry. This is a great image, an image of the new earth. Now, I say this because as Christians, many people, many Christians talk about heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven. And it's true. I believe that we, when we die, we go to heaven. But it's only for a time. Our ultimate home is the new heavens and the new earth here on earth. But this is our hope, is a renewed creation. When heaven comes down, when God dwells with people again here on earth. The Christian hope is a renewed creation. A renewed Eden. Not clouds and hearts and all-you-can-eat ice cream. That's not the Christian hope, but a new heaven and a new earth. It will be good for the people of God, but not for those who exploit them. Look at this. Verse 19, the last bit about the nations. It says, but Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Again, the people who exploited God's people, their fortunes will be reversed. You see, in Joel's day, Egypt and Edom, they were kind of the, the fancy places. They were the, the wealthy nations around them. And they were, their fortune will be reversed, that they will be a desert, that they will be a desert wasteland. Then he says this, Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. There's that verse 21 again, reminding us that the Lord dwells in Zion. This is the end of Joel, the day that Yahweh dwells in Zion. Ultimately, this is our future hope. The whole book of Joel is a guide for navigating our pandemic. If you think about this, part one of Joel starts where we are, in the middle of a plague. Theirs was locusts, ours is coronavirus. Joel doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells it like it is, horrible and terrifying. The key text is Joel chapter 1, verse 2. He says, has anything like this happened in your day? In the midst of a catastrophe, Joel calls to the people of God. He says, repent. Repent and return. Repent. Leave our distractions. Leave our idols and our self-reliance. Leave all of those things behind. Many of them have been canceled for the last few months anyways. Leave those behind and return to God. Return to God with a deeper devotion, with a stronger faithfulness, with a greater urgency for mission. Part two of Joel begins to look forward 
to the near future. When the pandemic is behind us, Joel is saying, take heart. This pandemic will not last forever. God will provide. We will be satisfied. He talked about grain and wine and oil, staples of Israeli life. He's saying that you'll have so much, it'll be like Thanksgiving Day. You know, when you eat so much that you're, quote, unquote, satisfied. When you are so satisfied, you're full. He says, surely God has done great things so that we can trust him. Do not be afraid. In fact, rejoice in the Lord your God. And ultimately, as good as it might get, the eternal hope is something even greater. Our hope is in the day of the Lord. When God will descend from the heavens and he will dwell in Zion. Not only will it be the end of violence, we will live life filled to the fullest here on earth in a new heaven and a new earth. The mountains will drip new wine. The hills will flow with milk. The ravines of Judah will run with water. There will be abundance everywhere. There will be justice everywhere. There will be grace everywhere. The new creation will teem with abundance. And best of all, God will rule from Zion. There will finally be justice and prosperity in God's way for God's people. This is our hope. A few weeks ago, I made a mistake. I was talking about the fact that there is trying to draw a point. There's so many different people have different voices on what we should do or where people should go or where they should put their hope. And I made this mistake. I said there is no map for this pandemic. That everybody's just trying to figure out their way. But I mean, it's actually Karen Edgar. She said she graciously came up to me after the service and she said, "We do have a map. God is our map." This week I realized especially as I was studying this passage, that she was right, that she was really right, that God has given us a way forward. That God has showed us that when a pandemic comes, when we face trouble like this, our first response, our best response, is repentance and returning to him. In Hebrew, that's just one word, to turn around, to turn away from and turn back towards. So for us to turn away from all the things that distracted us from God, how busy we were, our idols, our self-reliance, to return to him in devotion, meeting with him again on a daily basis, praying and reading scripture, deeper in faithfulness, further in mission. But God is calling us to repent and return. But he's also promising us that he will provide and that we will be satisfied as well. You remember, Joel said it. He said, surely, he said it twice, actually. Surely the Lord has done great things. We can trust him. So do not be afraid. Don't succumb to fear. In fact, because of who God is and because of how, how many great things he has done, how reliable he is, actually we can rejoice and be glad. Not in our situation, not pasting on a plastic smile and faking it, but rather rejoicing in who God is who he always is and who he has always been, who he would be. So we're going to have this hope, not just for the future coming, the immediate future, but also let's have this hope in Christ in his return, the day of the Lord. That the day of the Lord gives us hope even now. 
that as good as it might get on earth and God talks about restoring us even after pandemics, ultimately our hope is in the day when Christ reigns, when he returns and renews all of creation and renews with a new earth and a new heaven. This is our hope. This is our map. Then when we find ourselves in these trouble, and if we need to keep going through this again and again of repenting and returning, trusting in God, and hoping forward to the day of Christ's return, that we would live faithfully in light of this. This is the good news for us this morning. Amen.